Welcome to CityGraceNY.com. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at City Grace Church. Good morning, everybody. My name is Evan. I'll be reading the uh, passage for today. This is Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seeds along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that, is, that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. While trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still, others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed, sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, sometimes 30, sometimes 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. That's a return of 10,000%. Am I correct, finance people? 10,000%. That's huge. That's like Bernie Madoff level. That's like, that's like way beyond. Um, yeah, so that's an incredible thing. Let's pray. Lord God, would you open our hearts today? Would we open the door, Lord, and, and let you come in? God, we know that. You are a faithful God. You are a merciful God. You are a Lord who is waiting. You're waiting for us. And you are so patient, Lord, and even when we are unfaithful and even when we're stubborn, you just continue to wait and you wait and you wait and you wait. And you're waiting for us to to let you in, to open the door and to let you in. And so, God, may today be a day that we as a community, as these two churches that have come together for the purpose of ministry, that that we open the door to you and we say, Lord, would you do in our church and in our community whatever it is that you want to do. We pray that we would be a community that 
is, is sincerely open and submissive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We pray that, uh, that me and our, our human leaders, that we would always step out of the way and that we would always point towards you and that you would lead because we want you to receive all the glory and the honor in this church. We want it to be about you. We want it to be about your fame and about your renown. And for everybody that, that interacts or, or steps into our church, communicates with our church, sees our church, experiences our church, whether it's us gathered together here on Sunday morning or whether it's during the week and we're spread out throughout the city, that they would know that there is a God here and that you are good and that you are powerful and that you are inviting all people to put their faith and trust in you to receive salvation from Jesus Christ, eternal life in his name, and that that starts now, that, that, king, that the kingdom of heaven is coming into this world through us. So Lord, you, you be the, the leader, you be the king, uh, may it all be about you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I thought that what I would do today, you know, this is a sermon, I've preached on this, this story before, and I... I was trying to think about how I could come at it from an angle that would perhaps would be a little bit of a fresh take because I feel like if I, if I get up here and I just talk about, well, we have the, the, the soil with the thorns and we have the rocky soil, then you would all tune out because you've heard that message um, a thousand times, right? So I'm, I'm taking a little bit of a unique spin on it today and I just want to ask us a couple questions to consider and then I want to offer some practical advice, okay? So the first question I want us to consider is who exactly is the sower? Who is the sower? Any takers? Who's the so who's sowing the word? What? Any believer. Okay. Correct. <laughs> yes. So in one sense, in one sense, listen, Jesus, he's at a, a lake. There's so many people that are crowding him. So he steps back, he goes into the boat, he's teaching the crowds. So in some sense, he's talking about himself, right? He is the sower, he is the one that is sowing the word. But as Jim so eloquently put it, actually the fact is that it's not just Jesus is the sower, but hey, don't we all have access to the word, the seed? So maybe it's the case that a better way to come at this is not just a lesson about what soil we need to be, but about the kind of sowers we ought to be and what we ought to expect in the life of, of sowing. And in fact, as we've been going through Mark, that has, been our, that has been our case, what Pastor and Jesse and I have been trying to communicate from the very beginning, is that Jesus is not just bringing the kingdom, he's not just preaching and teaching and doing uh, good works as he brings the kingdom, as he liberates people from sin and from sickness and from evil spirits, but he is raising fishers of men. He's teaching his disciples how to engage in the same kind of kingdom ministry and work that he himself has been doing, which means that Jesus expects 100% to be imitated. He expects to be followed. I'm convinced from having read the Gospels and studied them, you don't have to be a genius, I don't think, to come to this conclusion, that Jesus is modeling ministry for his, his 12 disciples, and he fully intends for them to do the same things as they, he sends them out. So you could look at Luke chapter 9, he sends out the 12, two by two. How many pairs is that? Six. <laughs> then a chapter later, he sends... He's, come on, finance people. And then uh, a chapter later, Luke 10, he sends out the 72, probably in pairs also. How many pairs is that? 36, thank you. And then at the end of the Gospels, he sends them all out. All of them. 
So in Acts, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in the Matthew version, he says, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you for the very end of the age. And I would argue that if you look at Luke chapter 9 and you look at Luke chapter 10, the things that Jesus tells the disciples are cannily similar eerily similar to the exact same things that Jesus has been doing. He tells them to go out and preach the gospel and heal the sick and cast out demons. Those are the things, if you look in Mark chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, those are the things that he's doing. So I would say, I would suggest to you that, in fact, the seeds become the sower. So, I, I, you know, I was, I, was, I was Googling various kinds of seeds. Apparently, dandelions have, any guesses how many seeds on the head of a dandelion? Like 200, two to 300 seeds, one little dandelion. When you, when you blow that, poof, they, you know, they scatter out. And if you're planting seeds and even one of those seeds lands in good soil and is planted and begins to reproduce, from that one, you get 200. So the seed becomes the sower in the next season. And so I think what Jesus is saying is that he wants us to be a church that is about making disciples where we are, it's all about multiplication, not addition. And so I think this is a, maybe you've heard this before in the church planning world, you hear a lot about this, but the fact, the fact of the matter is that Jesus did not come to plant churches. And I think that oftentimes in the United States, we are so keen on this idea that planting churches is the way to go. We reach people by planting churches, but Jesus didn't plant churches. Did you know that? What did Jesus do? Jesus planted the church, and his main thing that he was about was making disciples. And could it be the case that we in, in kind of Western Christendom, Christianity, that, that we're so focused on getting a space filled and planting a church, but we lose sometimes the emphasis on actual discipleship, which is teaching people what it means to follow and obey Jesus in their day-to-day -day life. And I can say that as a church planner, I'm very guilty, uh, as any other church planner, of being so preoccupied with, you know, we've started this organization, and the goal is that we just want to, like, have a room that's full so that we can feel like we did our job. But the thing is, if that's your scope for what you're thinking of ministry, the second your room is full, you feel like you're successful. You feel like you've done your job. So, okay, so we can fit 80 in here. So now we have 80 people. Is that success? Is 80 people in a church a success? Right? I think that's growth by addition. But what we see in the Gospels, we see in Luke chapter 9, he sends out 12. A chapter later, he sends out 72. Guess how many disciples there are? After Jesus, is, <clears throat> Jesus ascends at Pentecost. Does anybody remember from Acts chapter 1, verse 14? It's 120-ish. It says about 120, so 120-ish. Ish is not in the Bible, but <laughs> that's what we say, 120-ish. There were about 120. So, and then he sends them out. So listen, church is about, and ministry about, the kingdom of God is about, is about multiplicative discipleship. It's about multiplying disciples. Jesus intends, this is his plan, this is his master plan for the kingdom coming into this world, is to sow seeds, make disciples, who will make disciples, who will make disciples, who will make disciples. Do you understand? Church is not about addition. It's not about getting everybody into a space so we can feel good about ourselves because there's a full room and then they can hear the pastor preach. How many of you know that we are all called to plant seeds? It's not just the pastors. It's not just Pastor Jesse and myself that are called to sow seeds.
Think about the dandelion, right? You have a whole, a whole, you know, on the head of the dandelion, you have all these, you 200 or so seeds, but every single one of those seeds, from the one that's on the top to the little one that's sticking out on the bottom, if that goes out into the earth and it lands in a good place, that is enough to start a whole new dandelion plant. And then you get two to 300 more seeds. But I'm convinced that the church, this is one of the biggest weaknesses in the, in the church, is we're too focused on building programs and building churches and not enough focus on actually engaging in the hard work of making disciples and reaching the lost, which is what planting seeds is all about. So you, some of you know that I'm, I'm leading this initiative in, in our region. It's called the Nehemiah Project. And there are a lot of churches that are struggling and they may struggle. They're declining. They have 100 people, 90 people. As the years go by, the age gets older. And, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with having elderly people at church. We love having elderly people at church. But the thing is, if, you're, if you only have elderly people at church and you stop having young people and you stop having kids, then, then there's, something, there's something wrong there. And a lot of the churches are wondering, what exactly is going wrong? Are we not doing something right? And so they bring in consultants and they, they go through all these programs. And sometimes the programs are very, very intense. And you'll have a church that will go through like two or three years of of doing all kinds of research and all kinds of questionnaires and trying to figure out, like, what's going wrong? Do we need to change up the worship? Oh, maybe the worship is too traditional. Maybe we need to do more modern worship. Or maybe the preacher, he's preaching too long. He's preaching for 30 minutes. We need to cut it down to 20 minutes. And, you know, they're, they're, maybe the decor is out of style, and so people don't feel comfortable because, you know, the coffee is bad or something like that. So they're, they're trying to, like, figure out why are people not coming to the church anymore? But maybe it's the case that they've forgotten the main thing about what church was about in the first place and that if they would get that thing right, then everything else would kind of fix itself in the process. You see what I mean? The other day, anybody know what this is? This little thing caused me and my wife a lot of trouble the last couple of weeks. This is a, an inverter. And you, you plug it into a cigarette lighter, and then out of it, you can charge your USB, or you can get like a three-prong thing, right? So I come to my car one day, and it is like not starting. It's completely dead. And so I had to get my friend. Actually, no, I had to get a, some dude that was like double parked in a van. Oh, you know, help. So he came over, and, and uh, he gave my car a jump. And then so once the car was running, I was able to drive my car to... Um, what are they, AutoZone? And I explained the situation to them, and they're like, oh, well, clearly, you know, your battery, there must be something the matter, the matter with your battery. And so, and this is, by the way, I had just taken my car to the shop, like, about two or three weeks prior, because, you know, it's inspection time of year, and when you drive an old piece of garbage, like what I drive, then when it comes time for inspection, you end up dropping, like, one or $2,000, which is not a fun thing. So I had just spent a lot of money on this car. We're very frustrated. We're just trying to get it up and running so we can like get up and down first and second half. It's basically all we use it for. Um, and so they didn't know what the problem was. So they, I'm at best, I'm at AutoZone. They say, well, you need a new battery. So I drop $100 to get a brand new battery. And then the car worked for like a week or two. And then we go to our car one morning because we need to move it for alternate side parking. And guess what? The car was completely dead again. And so now I'm out, it's about two weeks ago, it was absolutely freezing cold. It was like that Thursday when it was like 20 degrees. I'm with my daughter and I don't want to get a ticket because the, the, you know, I'm supposed to move the car, but I can't move the car because the car's not moving and I had to have the car towed. And I had to spend more money to try to figure out what was happening. But see, you, you see like 
we're trying to fix this, trying to fix that, trying to get the car moving, but then you know what happened? The mechanic, he looks inside our glove compartment, which I had, I had failed to look down there, and buried deep under like a lot of food and ketchup and stuff like that, was this thing that was sticking in the, in the cigarette lighter, and it was running, even when the car was off. So this little thing was draining my car battery. You see, the problem was not the engine, the problem was not even the battery. I got a brand new battery, but the, my car was still going dead. The problem was this thing needed to be removed because this was sucking all the juice out of my car. I think that we suck the juice out of our churches when we don't sow seeds. And our churches are not growing, and our churches are getting smaller and smaller, and we're hiring and paying people like myself to help. <laughs> Maybe there's a simple solution. Maybe we need to get out there and plant some seeds because it's not just the pastors that are supposed to be planting seeds. It's not just Jesus who planted seeds, but he trained us on how to plant seeds, and so we need to sow. And maybe if we did that and we focused more on discipleship, then we would get strong, growing churches as a byproduct of that. I don't remember who it was that said this, but they said, if you start churches, you might get disciples, but if you make disciples, you will always get the church. And so I think this passage is telling us one thing, is that we need a radical reorientation to what we're thinking about, what it means, what success is in the church. It can't be about addition. It's multiplication. It's disciples making disciples making disciples. We're going to talk more about what that means in a second. Second question, what is the seed? What is the seed? Anybody have an idea? The seed is the word. How could Jesus teach the word if he had not died on the cross and been resurrected yet? What word was he teaching? The good news, the gospel good news, yeah. So Jesus is preaching the word, which is the good news about him. And I think that in Jesus's, what Jesus has in mind is he is talking about this renewing, powerful kingdom that he's bringing into the world. But get this. Jesus was actually quite successful. He made 120 disciples in three years. It's pretty successful. You know, I know a pastor who has planted five or six ch churches in three years. who's more successful than Jesus. How is this possible? Because Jesus was preaching a word about something that had not yet happened. It was preemptive. So Jesus is telling people about a renewing kingdom prior to his death and resurrection. So I would actually suggest to all of us today that if we're sowers, we should think and we should consider and we should believe in our hearts that we have better seed than Jesus did. Because why? Because Jesus was sowing seed about something that hadn't happened yet, but we have the ability to sow seeds about something that has been accomplished. Because Jesus has actually already died on the cross to solve the problem of human sin and suffering in the world and our separation from God, and he was resurrected to new life, thereby proving that he's legitimate and that new life is indeed a reality. So not only are we are the, the sowers and, and have a job to multiply the kingdom by casting seed everywhere we go, but we actually have better seed than Jesus because we can share the good news of the kingdom that has been demonstratively been proven to be validated because of what Jesus has done, because it's already happened. So consider that. And then the third question, and after I deal with this, um, then I will get into kind of some more practical, practical questions. What is the harvest? In this story... The, the seed produces 30, 60, 100 times. Jesus managed 120 times. But what is the harvest? What are we actually talking about? Anybody want to guess? What's the harvest? What is the harvest that we, the sowers, are called to yield? The world, okay. 
the harvest is people. It's souls. It's people. We are talking about people meeting Christ, believing the gospel, and coming into the kingdom. And I think it's interesting. I've preached many sermons on this passage, this parable, and I've heard sermons about this passage. But I think that we sometimes gloss over the final verse. And that is the part where Jesus said, the seed that lands on good soil produces 30, 60, even up to 100 times. And I actually think, and I want to suggest to you today, that God might be calling for the church to have a, re a radical reorientation in terms of not just what the church is about, but what your life is about. And your life is about impacting people for the sake of the kingdom. What if we took that literally? That when Jesus says the seed is going is to plant, is going to multiply 30, 60, 100 times, he's actually talking about you reaching in your lifetime 30, 60, 100 people. Because why wouldn't that be what it's about? You know what I mean? You know, there's uh, people, um, you know, we're so focused on our work. And the thing is, you know, there's nothing wrong with being focused on work. There's nothing wrong with investing your life in growing and going to school and, um, you know, putting your heart and soul into a career and, and getting and being really good at what you do. That's great. And that glorifies God. But at the end of the day, right, if you're an accountant, aren't you trying to help people? I mean, isn't the whole point of your job is to serve people and to impact people? Or whether you're a lawyer. It's not just about law, but it's law in service of human beings. You heard me say a couple, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, earlier in Mark, you know, Jesus, when he called his disciples, was calling them into the people business because he said, I will make you fishers of men. So I believe that, that every single one of us, even the, the meekest, shyest, most private, I won't look at anybody specifically, but I certainly can think of some of you in here that maybe you're shocked that I would be applying this to you, but I am. So if you are the person that I'm thinking of, then I am talking directly to you. But we all, every single one of us, is called into that same business. It's the people business. It's impacting people. And, you know, the other thing is, I think in our day and age, too, you know, that we're so hungry to, to have a meaningful and impactful life in this world. So hungry for it. But maybe what God is calling us to is, is that, that kind of primal calling, which he, I believe, placed on Adam and Eve in the very beginning when he said, you're, you're, you're my image bearers, which is to bring glory to by God by showing the world around you how awesome the Father is. And so what that means is that part of even being human is the call to impact and have an effect on the lives of other people. That is the people business. And so I want to suggest to you today that if we take this seriously, that you begin to think about your life, not only in terms of what you do, but in terms of the number of people that you are able to impact and point towards Christ in your lifetime. Because I actually don't think it's a stretch at all that you could in the course of a lifetime, very, very easily lead 30 people to Christ. Disciple 30 people, 60 people, 100 people. You know, well, we'll get more into, into seeing the harvest, but like, let me just point out one person, and that would be Becca.
Becca is leading EVMC, right? She, 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 she straightened up because she got very uncomfortable all of a sudden. <laughs> she's going to be blushing like crazy. But listen, she's put time and effort. She does her job, and she, I'm sure she meets her boss and has coworkers and her parents and friends and all. She probably knows hundreds of folks who are just you know people of the world. But not only she does she do that other thing, but she also is building the East Village missional community, which over the past couple of years has met hundreds of guys at Project Renewal and on the streets. And not only that, but then by including other people to be a part of EVMC, she's also facilitating so that the rest of us can, by being involved and like going to things like Friendsgiving and stuff like that, then we too can be able to interact and, and sow seeds for the sake of the gospel. It's not that outlandish at all. And, and I think that if we looked at our lives from this lens of impacting people, and if we saw that worshiping God and impacting people, worshiping God is number one, impacting people for the sake of the gospel is point number two, and we thought about our lives in that sense, we would realize that we waste a whole lot of time doing a whole lot of stuff that's pretty meaningless. And that there is so much more important stuff that we could be doing, which will have eternal impact. And people desperately, desperately need to know the gospel and be led into relationship with Christ. And say, we're watching Netflix for our, I'm including myself in this, wasting time doing so many things, but not really taking advantage of the fact that God has put us in this world to reflect his glory to the nations and to point people towards Christ. And so I want to put that out there. Think about your life. Could it be the case? Maybe it's not 30. Maybe it's 10. I don't know. Maybe you have 10 kids, so you've already got 10. You only need 20 more. I, you know, you got to start with your kids. So I have three, so I'm thinking about my 27. But this is not meant to be a legalistic thing. Maybe it's five. Maybe it's 10. Maybe it's 30. Maybe you're Becca and it's 1,000. You know, it, it doesn't matter. The, the point is... The point is you're thinking about your life from a perspective of I'm a sower in the people business because I follow in the footsteps of the fisher of man, Jesus Christ. And he was a sower and I sow seeds too. Okay? Now the church sometimes I think fails because they're missing this basic thing, but they also fail I think because they don't have any practical steps to take. So here are three, what I want to suggest to you, how are we doing on time? Three kind of practical, a practical method for what could this look like? And it just so happens that in God's providence, I happened to attend um, a, a training session this week that was on engaging, the, engaging secular culture with the gospel. And I was, it was uh, by Campus Crusade, now called Crew. And so I actually learned this there. Isn't that crazy that on the week that I'm preaching on Mark 4 about fishing for men, I attend this conference and I learned all this great stuff. So it was very helpful. So I will be honest, I'm completely borrowing this from them. This is what they train all their staff people at Crew. Um, with this method, and the method is see, say, show. Can you all say that with me? See, say, show. Say it again. See, say, show. Say it really fast. See, say, show. 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 Yeah. So I want you to to remember that. See, say, show. Very good. So so what are we what are we seeing? Well, the first thing is to see the harvest. And that's what Jesus did. He came into the world, born as the Son of God, into the world to walk in our footsteps, to see what's going on in the neighborhood. He saw. And what he said was very interesting in Luke chapter 10, that he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, I can't tell you how much time I've spent in New York being like, God, where's the harvest? I don't see any harvest. But do you know that is a spiritual problem, not a real problem? 
There's a spirit. That is a problem with my eyes. It's not a problem with the harvest. The harvest is there. The harvest is all around you. It's all around me. But sometimes we don't have the heart to see it. We don't have the eyes to see it. Why? Because we're so focused on maybe a preconception of who we think we're supposed to be reaching that oftentimes there's people right in front of us, but because we don't have the eyes to see and realize that the harvest is right there, we're missing it. We're missing opportunities all the time. So seeing, who has God put in your life that you could reflect the image of God to? You could point them towards Christ. The other day... Um, I was in a via. <laughs> you know where this goes. I was on my way to church, coming down, because my car was busted. I was coming down 2nd Ave. 2nd goes down, right? 1st goes up, 2nd goes down, yeah? And uh, so I'm in the via, and then I felt like God say, put yourself out there. You need to let him know that you're a believer. I was alone in the via. So I said, yeah, hey, thanks for bringing me to church this morning. So he turned around while he's driving. <laughs> and then uh, he's like, oh. He's like, pray for me, man. I'm like, oh, okay. So God gave me the, um, you know, an inspiration. So I went with it. And he, he asked me to pray for him. So I'm like, oh, okay. So what do you want me to pray for you for? And then he began to share me about his life. And so then I'm okay. And then, so then I said to him, so then I, my thought was, okay, I'll pray for this guy. But then I felt like God said, no, pray for him right now. And so then right there in the via, he, he pulls up to the corner of 2nd Street, right down over there. And I said, how about I pray for you right now? And he's like, sure. So then I, pr I prayed for him right there on the spot. And who knows where he went. But see, this is the beauty of the parable, is you're just, you're planting seeds. So, you know, the seed, the, there is something about the sower that would give him an F in botany school, because he's just casting his seed everywhere. So he's not a skillful sower. Do you see what I'm saying? What, who sows seed on rock? Um, but that, that is the thing. There's an indiscriminate way in which I think God wants us to be sowing the seed, which it could be rock. I don't know. I don't know what kind of soil it is, but if I'm doing what Jesus said, I'm just casting the seed everywhere. But you have to have eyes to see. So I think about Christy. Um, I love bragging about her because over the past couple of years, God has really worked in her heart and has, has changed her attitude. She used to be, she would sometimes mention, I'm married to a pastor, and that would open up doors for her to, to be able to share a little bit more about, like, what in the world are you doing in New York City? Oh, we came to New York City to plant a church. Like, you don't meet that kind of a person every day, right, at the hospital. Um, so, but over the years, she's gotten to a point where she's, she just doesn't even have the energy to hide that she's a Christian anymore. So she just tells people about Jesus all the time and, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to pray for this or, oh my goodness, that person's being really difficult. Yeah, we really need to pray for that person. Just to, she says that to whoever, but she's just casting seed. You know, we are so connected. We're probably the most connected generation in the entire world. I was on Facebook this morning and I checked to see how many Facebook friends I have. And uh, I have 1,760 Facebook friends. Do you know how connected we are? You have thousands of people that you're connected to. Guess how many friends Kathy has? And Whitney, they have over 3,000 Facebook friends. BJ um, has like less than 300. <laughs> I think it's an age thing. 
Oh, he's only a year or two older than me, but I'm like a millennial. I'm like the older millennials. BJ's one or two years older, so he like barely makes the cut for millennials. <laughs> but I guarantee you that his, his LinkedIn profile is like off the chain. Because <laughs> he knows everybody in the business. He's like super, super connected. But, but like seeing who has God put in your life that you could minister to, and would you be willing, if you're thinking about your life in those terms, that this person is not just your barista anymore, right? And your Uber driver is not just your Uber driver. And your roommate is not just your roommate. And your long-distant cousin is not just your long-distant cousin. But these are folks that maybe God put them in your life for a reason that you could sow seeds with them. So are we, are we seeing? Are we seeing people? So saying, seeing and saying, saying. We must be willing to talk. So St. Francis of Assisi, it was said that he said, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Have you ever heard that before? Okay. It's not true. Because you could be the nicest person in the world and people could see how nice you are. But at the end of the day, if you're not willing to share why you are the way you are and why you have the hope that you have, all your niceness is not going to amount to anything. The gospel comes through the ears. The scripture says that the gospel comes through hearing, and that's what leads to believing. But people can't hear if they, they can't hear unless somebody's speaking. Paul, I think you said that earlier in your testimony, didn't you? The gospel doesn't go anywhere unless it's spoken. It has to, is a spoken message. The power in the gospel is in the speaking. So we have to, have to, have to be willing to take those risks. We have to be willing to speak. That is how people are impacted. So crew has this um, crew has this awesome awesome tool, and it's called the power of sometime. The power of sometime works like this: you're talking with somebody, you're really not, you, you don't feel comfortable sharing the gospel, you're not sure what to say. This is so so easy. You just say, "Well, hey, sometime I'd love to share more with you how I became a Christian." Just put it out there. Maybe they're interested in talking to you about that. Maybe they're not. But it doesn't matter, right? The seed goes everywhere. But you put yourself out there. You said sometime, and so that opens the door. And if God moves in that person's life, a week or two later, a month later, they might come back and they say, hey, you know, you mentioned one time that you thought you might be willing sometime to come and talk to me about why you believe what you do or what God has done in your life. I'd love to hear more. The other day, a guy was, um, he was talking to me, and he's like, well, you believe that there are truths in other religions, Right? And I feel like, as a pastor, sometimes people ask me that because they're really trying to gauge how intolerant I am. <laughs> it's like the intolerance test. How judgmental is this evangelical pastor? Does he believe there are truths in other religions? So I always am like, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are some truths in other religions. But I, I don't, I mean, that's true. But I'd much rather talk about what makes Jesus unique. But the thing is, the conversation wasn't going in that way. So then we were getting up to leave for coffee. I'm like, hey, you know Sometimes, sometime I'd love to, I had just come off the, uh, the crew training, so this is fresh in my mind. I'm like, you know, sometimes I would love to, to share more about why, how I think Jesus is unique, actually. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, sure, that sounds great. Yeah, we can talk about that sometime. So you see, you know, it takes the pressure off. And so maybe even that still makes you feel really, really uncomfortable, because if somebody did ask you why you're a Christian or what makes Jesus real for you, you wouldn't be sure you would know what to say. So then you could just say, well, sometime I would love to introduce you to Pastor Jesse, and he can tell, <laughs> and he can tell you more. And I tell you, 
if we had more people that would tee up those kind of conversations for us, we would, wouldn't we be thankful? That would be epic. It would be great. Guys, that is the easiest thing in the world. Sometime I'd love to introduce you to my past. Sometime I would love to take you to church. Not, not, not tomorrow, but sometime when you're in the mood for it. Come, check it out. Let's go to Alpha. Let's go to that healing thing, the Ark Healing Rooms. You know, just sometime. It's so, it's so non-committal. It's so easy. So, so just remember that, the, the power of sometime. Sometime I'd love to tell you why I think God makes a lot of sense. Sometime I'd love to tell you why, even though it seems like there's so much crazy stuff happening in the world, I still believe in God, you know? Sometime, sometime I'd love to tell you how I think Christians could actually be a force for good in the world, even though it seems like there's so much political stuff happening. You just say something like that, it opens a door. So see, say, and then show. And show is perhaps the most important part. And the reason show is so, see, this guy's going to remember it. He's going to take that home and he's going to convert 30 people today. So that's going to be great. Um, the show. So I mean, you, some of you know I was in Turkey over the summer. And um, I got into a conversation with some guys and we were talking about Jesus. And they were Muslim. And I was shocked to find out that they believe in Jesus too. So I said, you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And they said, no, no, no. Jesus is alive. And we were using Google Translate, so it was super hard to, it was very awkward. But I'm like, no, I, I, yeah, I said, yes, I, yes, Jesus is, is alive. That's because he died, and then he was resurrected. And then they said, no, 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 Jesus never died, but Jesus is alive. And I, I was so confused, but I didn't really know that much about Islam at the time, so I was just confused. And I tried to, like, convince them that Jesus did die. And they're like, no, no, Jesus didn't die. It's just they told the Christians he died, you know, Google Translate. But uh, at the end, the, the end of the day, we exchanged pleasantries, and it was nice. And they looked me up on WhatsApp, and I connected with them, and stuff like that. He actually gave me a, a prayer beads. He gave me a rosary. Really sweet guy. But see, the thing is, I, I went and I talked to our, to our tour guide, um, Gurkhan, who's great, right, Pastor John? Gurkhan was the man. And uh, Gurkhan said, yeah, you know, there's no point in arguing about that. You're not going to win people over by arguing because they have their beliefs and they, they have yours. He's like, at the end of the day, the only thing that's actually going to impact lives is when they see how you live and see, see your love. And they have to have an encounter with Jesus. And I believe that that's not only true in Turkey. I believe that we are living in a time now where people think Jesus is great, but the problem is they don't think Jesus is relevant. And you might have the strongest beliefs in the world. And you might be the, convinced that the Bible teaches X, Y, and Z. And you might be right, but guess what? People don't care because they don't care what the Bible says because they have no reason to trust the Bible any more than they do what their yoga teacher teaches them or what they read on Google. Right? We live in a time in which people do not want to know what you believe, or, or sorry, they're not going to be convinced by what you say just because you're passionate, or just because you're, you have convictions, or just because the Bible says that's why I'm Z. Right? They're much more, the question is really one of relevance. Because in our culture, you can literally believe whatever you want to believe. You could believe in Santa Claus. You could work at J.P. Morgan and still believe in Santa Claus. And I think nobody, it wouldn't even affect your... You're standing at all. I mean, you literally can believe whatever you want in this world. So you can believe whatever you want. That doesn't change people. But I think what does change people is when they actually see Jesus making a difference in their life. It's a question of relevance. You say Jesus is relevant. Okay, you believe him, great. You can believe whatever you want. But what difference does it actually 
made in your life? How has Jesus changed things for you? And so there's see, say, show, and then with show, I think there's this very simple thing called the three-sentence story. And the first part of this is connect. We have to realize that, that we and the people that are out there that don't believe in Christ, by the way, what do we call the people in the world that don't believe in Jesus? Do we call them non-Christians, unbelievers? Lost. Lost. Yo, we call them lost, so we're the founder of the lost. Yo, they're just people. They're just people. And they're not that different from us. You see, we struggle with all the same issues, right? We have to deal with a, an MTA that's a pain in the butt and trains getting rerouted. We have to deal with anxiety. We have to deal with the fact that Robots might take over our kids' jobs. You know, we have to deal with the reality that global warming is happening and the oceans are rising, and is that gonna affect our children? Like, we are people, we're all just people. We're people. And so, before you're gonna show, you gotta connect. You gotta connect. And connecting means that, yeah, we might know Jesus, but at the end of the day, we're still just broken, simple people. Like, everybody, like, we are people and they are people. We're all just people. So you connect, you share something in common. You love fishing. You love watching YouTube for three hours. Or you love The Crown. I don't love The Crown. Anybody here love The Crown? Just my wife. She's the only one. Okay. <laughs> oh, we got one. Okay, one taker. So, right, we deal with the same thing. We deal with addictions, just like everybody else deals with addictions. We deal with sleepless nights and wondering about our kids and being lonely, everybody faces these exact same issues. So connect your anxiety. Someone's sharing with you, yeah. This happened just the other day at, gym at gymnastics. This guy was sharing with me. Uh, he's, he's a psychiatrist, he's in consulting, he makes a lot of money, he's trying to take care of his girl and provide the best opportunities for her. But he's wondering, how do I raise my child in an environment in which robots are gonna be doing most of the jobs that human beings currently do? How do you prepare a child for that? So it's an anxiety that, that he has. I never thought about it. Now I'm like, now I'm worried about it. <laughs> so you connect. <laughs> and then the, the second part is, and this is the part where you show how Jesus matters. And how, why does it matter? Because he somehow meets you in the midst of that. You know, I was really anxious the other day because my boss was giving me so much trouble and I was really concerned about my job. But then I was praying and in the midst of that, I sensed like God say to me that it was going to be okay. And that he loves me and that I don't need to be so scared. So simple that you could say that in one sense. It's supposed to be, just be one simple sense. But you're showing, you're not giving doctrine, you're not arguing. You're just sharing your experience. You're sharing how Jesus met you in your life. And that is, I think, for our day and age, that is going to be the most impactful thing that anybody could ever hear. It's the difference that Jesus actually made in your life. It's going to be more impactful if they can actually see it. So it's not just you talking about it, but if they can see that it actually made a difference. And then you share the result. Jesus met me in that, and now 
you know, I'm not so worried. I, I trust that, yeah, the world is changing and we can't even keep up with these changes, but I believe God's gonna be with my kids and they're gonna be okay. You see, it's a simple, uh, what is, connect, show Jesus, and then share the gospel. So see, say, show. Take that with you, okay? And let's pray. Um, I wanna pray for you, that you will embrace, and let's get some, yeah, we'll go into our, our closing songs. Anna, you can just lead us, but let's embrace. We are the seed sowers. We are the seed that becomes the sower. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts and give us a new boldness and courage that we've never had before. I pray that as much as we love our jobs and invest in our jobs, and as much as our jobs are glorifying to you, may we never forget our primary calling to worship you, to impact people, whether that is family, whether that is coworkers, whether it's our children, whether it's the, the folks at Project Renewal, whether it's the guys on the street, whether it's college students at NYU or international students, Lord, may we see, may we have eyes to see these people that you put right in front of us. We're so, we, we do mission, but sometimes we miss the missional opportunities that you lay right at our doorstep. So God, open our eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would have fresh eyes to see and that we would realize that, that we have seed that is just as powerful as what you sow, Lord. That you have given us the Spirit and you have given us this gospel message, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that it continues to have power to change lives even in 2019. And Lord, we repent of just trying to fill a church room and to get people here on Sunday morning but not doing the hard work of seeking you and being obedient to you on Monday through Saturday. Would we re-embrace the call to discipleship? That you call each one of us to participate in this work of leading people to you, of teaching people what it means to follow you and to obey you. God, may you strip us away of all of our defenses, strip us away of all of our excuses, so that we humbly and wholeheartedly follow you as your missional church this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.